they miss him around the goal line in particular in this one. McCarthy incomplete and picked off. Intercepted by Dean Winters. And a touchdown. Continuing to play the game of his life. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of the Three Wise Men podcast. Welcome to the place where three geniuses give their not-so-genius opinions on the state of TCU and other interesting topics. Who we've got here are myself. My name is Connor. I am our host. I'm our resident bookie, and I am possibly the biggest TCU fan ever. I did not write this intro, but I stand by every word of it. Like many people who have strong, vociferous opinions, I know very little about what I'm talking about. Luckily, I am joined by Barrett on the bottom of our screen, the brains of this operation, the one man who truly knows what he's talking about, and our other genius here, Jacob, who knows things but doesn't know the names of things. If, if you guys each want to give, give a line or two about yourself before we get started, go for it. Yeah, what's up, y'all? Like Connor said, my name is Barrett. Um, coming from Arkansas as a TCU fan. So coming from the South, strong football, strong football. Like Connor said, I know a lot of the, the lingo and I'm more of the, the coach behind things, whereas Jacob is our insider information. So I'll pass it over to him. Hey, guys, what's up? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the insider information, but I can't really claim much of it. Most of it I get from Jeremy Clark and Jamie Plunkett on 247 Sports, or I think it's 247 Sports. So uh, shout out to them if you're not a member of Horn Frog Blitz. Do it because they're awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm from just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, currently living in London in the UK, but I tune into every game and I watch things and don't really know what I'm watching, but I know what works and what doesn't. All right. With that, I guess we're going to jump right into some off-season talk. We've had some big additions, some big players and coaches. And for starters, I'm I'm told Barrett is going to talk a lot about Bryles. Yeah, so being from Fayetteville, I am a huge Hog fan. So I've had the, the privilege, or maybe not so much of a privilege, of watching Bryles coach for the past few years in Arkansas. Um, one thing I will say about him he fits the system. He's a good recruiter. Um, it'll really be dependent on whether or not Sonny gives him the keys to the offense. Um, from what I've seen in Arkansas, he's got a great baseline system. Runs the ball a lot. Um, maybe a little different from what we've seen in the past with TCU, um, where it'll it'll be a little bit more balanced than what we're typically used to. Um, however... I would say he's not necessarily best in terms of making adjustments halfway through a game. So I'm, I'm excited to see if uh, when push comes to shove, Sonny kind of takes over on the offensive scheme um, or if he gives Browse the, the reins to the offense. But looking forward to, to this upcoming season. I, I am the worst kind of TCU fan. I hate everything about everyone with the last name Bryles. They're short of us having the number one offense in the country this season. I'm going to be frustrated, but I like, I like your optimism. <laughs> A lot of fans really uh, weren't too pleased with the uh, so, just because uh, of the thing. It was, it was Art Bryles who really did what was wrong. And I don't want to hold the sins of the father against the son too much. But at the same time, Kendall was present at Baylor and clearly, clearly had some involvement. I, I'm trying to be the best Christian I can, trust that he's a changed man and maybe he wasn't even a bad man to begin with and maybe it was just his dad. Um, I, I went to Florida State for grad school and while Kendall Browse was the offensive coordinator there, I didn't root for FSU in a single game while they had him until he moved on. So I'm going to be with that majority, but I'm, I'm trying to be open-minded. I hope, I hope he proves to be a good person and a good coach, but man, I, it's tough. 
I'd say Bryles is really good at talent development. Um, he, he took an Arkansas team that didn't have a lot of talent coming into that situation, and now K.J. Jefferson is considered one of the best QBs in the SEC. Clyde Sanders is right up there with him as one of the best running backs. And honestly, they didn't come in as super high recruits. Um, so I'll be interested to see how he does with Chandler Morris and with with Trey Sanders coming in as a as a transfer. Um, get, he's got a lot more firepower in this offense than he did at Arkansas. So potentially that could help kind of ease the adjustment. And historically, that's where TCU tends to shine. I mean, Gary Patterson was terrible with the big shot recruits coming in and was much better with the guys like Doxon, who were, were nobodies and became huge after the fact. So, I again, you saying he's a good fit, I do like the taking a nobody and turning them into somebody that's much more TCU's style. So, that I mean, that could be great to see, especially, like you said, with guys like Trey Sanders and Chandler Morris. With that, we'll move on to some of the reason to be optimistic. Jacob, tell us about the freshman we've got coming. So, the freshman we have coming in, uh, really – None of them, I don't think, will make too big of an impact this year on the field unless there are a bunch of injuries because we were, we're lucky enough to have a bunch of returning players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which is where a lot of our freshmen ended up coming in. Um, but from what I've been seeing on the board and practice reports and stuff like that, um, Marcus Deal, who was kind of the headliner of the class, we got him over Georgia, so uh, that makes up for the entirety of the beatdown in the championship. They that might counts have won for that. at least fourteen touchdowns. I mean, we yeah, yeah. Georgia's teeth in now. Absolutely. So also, we really we, we would have beaten Georgia if not for that one bad call. So neither here nor there. Go. Yeah, we we won the biggest prize there, Marcus Deal. Um, he's going to be a nose tackle for us, most likely. And he's been playing well. He's been playing with the twos. Uh, other other defensive players who who will probably have an impact are uh, Jonathan Bax, who, who we got over LSU, who made a late push. He apparently doesn't look like a freshman at all. He's 6'3", 235 pounds. So he and then Randon Fontanet is the – or Fontanetti is the um, – other freshmen to watch on defense. I think he's going to be real good. He's a he's playing nickel for us right now in the second, third team, depending on who's out there in practices. Those three on on defense are going to be they're going to be really good for us for a while. Um, on offense, I mean, you got uh, Cordell Russell, who's really one of the one of the very few players we did bring in on offense this past cycle. Um, a stud wide receiver. He was, I think he ended up being rated top 100 player in the nation um, on most services. He's playing with the twos right now, but behind Warren Thompson and Dylan Wright, who are both transfers, who we can get to in a minute. But, I mean, this dude is an athletic freak. He's two, or 6'4", 210, can jump out of the building. Um, I think he's going to be... He has potential to be the next, like, real Quentin Johnson type player, but he's a little bit different because I think QJ was real fast and was able to use his speed. I think Cordell Russell will just body people out of the way. QJ um, was sneaky fast. He didn't feel like he was supposed to be fast, being as huge as he was, but he was real fast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and that, that's what you're seeing if you watch Chargers reports, is none of the DBs can keep up with him which is kind of fun to fun to see. Um, but uh, like I said, the freshmen are going to be there. They'll play. Cordell Russell will probably play the most out of the freshmen, I think, just because wide receiver, you can come in and jump, especially jump balls in the end zone. Uh, in red zone situations, it'll be good. But honestly, the transfers are going to be what really helps us most, especially on the offensive line. Um we got a sophomore in Colton Deary, who I think was like an all Big Ten freshman selection at Maryland last year, uh, which is a great get. And then Willis Patrick, who's a redshirt senior, um, he he was at Jackson State actually with um, Dion. Oh, really? Year. 
Yeah, and Dion really wanted him to come to Colorado, but we got him over Colorado, which is interesting. It'll not be our last win over Colorado in the next few weeks, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> and, and Patrick is a big dude. He is 6'4", 355, so that's that's a mauler coming at you at that right guard spot, and yeah. I think he's going to be a, a key cog for our run game for this upcoming season. Absolutely, and both of those guys have been going on the first string starting offensive line. Um, and then you have Trey Sanders, like uh, Barrett mentioned before, transfer from Alabama, um, who is – I, guess, I think he's going to start off as the top running back. Um, but honestly, I, I don't know who's going to have the most carries. It looks like coaches are being pretty careful because Trey Sanders has a pretty extensive injury history, um, which is just really unfortunate. But uh, he's he's worked his way back, which is incredibly impressive. Um. Then you have on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, no, we have like 10 wide receivers we got transfers from uh, Joe, Jojo Earl from Alabama as well. He's going to be a stud for us. And then John Paul Richardson, um, who tore us up last year at Oklahoma State, and I think he's going to be – he might he might end up being the, the uh, top receiver for this year, like – he just runs routes well and catches well, everything in his way. I I forgot about him. He's he did tear us up. Yeah, yeah. He he. We we didn't have an answer for him until the second half when Oklahoma State just decided they didn't know what a football was. Yeah, I, I'd say Coach Sonny did a did a good job of getting guys who compliment Savion well. Um, kind of across the board in that receiver review. You see guys like J.P. Richardson and JoJo Earl. Um, Warren Thompson from that transfer from Arkansas, he's a very similar type of build and play style to, to Savion where he's just kind of a, a big-bodied burner. Um, but we got a lot of guys who can play that kind of slot role. Jake Beck is kind of that pseudo-slot tight end play style. Um, you'll, you'll probably see him moved around across the board. Um, but I, I, I think we've got a really good new group, especially of transfers coming in and then supplementing that with the freshmen, giving them some people to learn behind is is always good. We've got a lot of depth in the receiver room for this year. Yeah, I honestly think we might have more depth this year than we had last That's year. That's what I'm hearing a lot, like not just from TCU people, but across the board. I mean, QJ was a unique animal that's never going to be replaced. But generally speaking, our wide receiver room is a lot deeper. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to replace QJ's production with one person. But with the pieces that we brought in, we could replace them with three or four people people pretty easily. I think the targets and receptions are going to be relatively spread out. And I think that's a typical of Bryles offense, And if I'm, I'm – maybe. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this past year, right, without Traylon Burks from Arkansas, and they did the exact same thing. They kind of spread the ball around. Um, didn't have one single person who who did a whole lot of everything like QJ did last year. Um, I, I think the difference it being here at TCU, he has more talent to play with at the, in that wide receiver group. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, somebody we haven't mentioned yet is Dylan Wright, who started off at A&M and then transferred to Minnesota, where it's probably the worst offense for wide receivers in the nation. Um, and now he's here, and... He basically he had a, some academic things he had to get cleared up, but he came in and basically I think it was earlier this week or last week stepped in automatically to the starting spot opposite Savion, um, and has been absolutely dominant in practice. So, well, and as as far as his academic things go, TCU probably doesn't agree with me on this, but I'm a big believer in the uh, Cardell Jones line. We ain't come here to play school. <laughs> he he cleared yeah. up what he needed to. He's ready to come here to play what he came here for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and he still has he still has another year if he needs it as well. Redshirt junior. So I think that's um, Barrett's dog, judging by the face of it. 
yeah, so like our offense, we're going to be good. I'm a little worried about our OL, um, but we have a lot of experience there um, <coughs> with Deary being the junior member, and he's a sophomore. So a lot of experience, a lot of reps. Um, and honestly, I think the Colorado game will be good for them because their defensive line is tiny. So um, some confidence. it should be some good experience, confidence builder for sure. But yeah. transfers, well, I'll move over to the defensive side of the ball because we haven't talked about that much. Um, it's so weird as a TCU fan that we're talking about the offense more than the defense. This is such a new phenomenon, and it's it's incredible because as much as I loved the Gary Patterson ways, it's evident that our, in our first year without being the defense school, we made it to a natty. The whole the defense wins championships lines isn't true like it used to be. I love I love that we are the Sunny Dykes offense now, and, and the Art or the Kendall Riles offense. But it, I just wanted to make that comment. Go, sorry. Yeah. And- yeah. To your, ahead, to your point, Connor, the, the transfers that are coming in for this this defensive team, a lot of them are in that secondary. Um, and and we got some studs coming in. Uh, Avery Helm is a certified stud from Florida. That guy's going to be a lockdown corner, and he's going to fill the role that uh, Josh Newton had whenever um, THT was here. And then we've also got Channing Canada coming in. Honestly, I think Canada could start for a lot of D1 programs. He's just behind two fantastic corners in our system. Um, and we we got a lot of guys. You talked about the the couple freshmen um, coming in, Fontanetti and uh, Johnson. I think both of those guys could push for that, that nickel slot corner role um, for this team. Uh, really a lot of depth in this back line. No, absolutely. And another one is Mason White, who was a transfer in from a JUCO as well. He and Channing Canada, I think, were the like one and two or one and three uh, corners for JUCO last year. Um, and that basically makes up our second string from what I from what I can tell. Um, and then you have some freshmen behind them. But that's a pretty solid top four cornerbacks to have. Um, yeah. Our our middle our linebacking core was already deep, so we didn't really put a lot of effort into transfers there. And defensive wise, we got some depth on the D line, I think. And no one that's really going to push for that starting spot, but a couple of guys, and I think it's Tico Brown, um, is one of the big ones that that I recognize. But a couple guys that'll add some much needed depth to that line in case people go down with injury. Yeah, absolutely. And and our our what really linebackers last year were the only position on the team that got torn up by injury, which I think was really big to us going all the way to the national championship. We didn't get hurt where a lot of teams did. Um, and so really getting back those, the Marshall Brooks, uh, and then the, let's see, Thomas Armstrong also went down. And then there was Terrence Cooks who missed the entire season with an injury. I think at one point last year we were down to four linebackers total and now they're all back from injury um so that that should really be a help and the big one who was not a linebacker last year was Namdi Obiazor who was a corner and I think he I think he was Juco corner he's a big guy um 6'3 225 but they transitioned him to linebacker this year, and he stepped into D. Winter's role as the number one, uh, the number one linebacker on the outside there. So I think he 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 has the coverage skills, which a lot of linebackers will lack because of that cornerback experience, which I think will be really helpful for guarding those big tight ends who some corners are too small for. Yeah, and, and you watch our team last year, and that's that's really where we got beat was that slot corner and coverage from the linebackers on on slots and tight ends. You watch the Georgia game, and Brock Bowers just destroyed us um, down the seam. That game didn't happen, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'll say Brock Bowers destroys everybody. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for for some of the talent that we have coming in. I think I think realistically the, the that 
slot corner is still going to be our weak spot. Um, outside of that, we probably won't have as great of a pass rush as we did last year, but who knows with some of the, the key guys that we have coming in. Yeah, I, I think pass rush will be interesting because really last year we didn't have a good pass rush at all until the end of the season when Dylan Horton just decided that he didn't care who was in front of him, um, especially in the Michigan game when he had like four sacks by himself. Um, he made he that that game alone, I think, made him a lot of money in the NFL. So props to him. Um, but I think this year it really will be the linebackers and that nickel safety who end up getting most of the sacks. The like Dominic Williams is going to be that run stuffer, and I think that's what. Uh, that that's what they're looking for. Joe Gillespie's looking for out of his D line. They might not get the stats that you want to see out of a like left end or right end, but they will clog up the lines and hopefully take up one to two people on the line so that the linebackers can get in there and take down the quarterback. Yeah, and, and that and that's kind of a good transition to talk about how this TCU three 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 five defense kind of works. Um, to that point, the D-line is there to take up blocks and open up lanes for our linebackers and for our corners. Um, really, they're there to make sure that our guys can shoot the gaps to stop the run game. And that's and that's what you saw with the, the Michigan game where D-winners and Jamoy Hodd were shooting gaps constantly trying to get into the backfield and disrupt the flow of the run. Um, I, I would say... The three three five. So you've got like your your weak side, your middle, and your strong side linebacker, and then the five is that fifth um, kind of slot corner, and um, that you see that Millard Bradford typically would play last year, and um, and what it allows our our defense to do is send pressure from a lot of different angles. Um, it's it's very versatile. Um, usually you'll see the three D linemen obviously sending some heat, but then you'll see one of the three linebackers or one of the corners um, or a safety come off the edge. And so it's, it's very hard to kind of pick out where the pressure is going to come from um, and by design, obviously, but um, I, th- I think it'll, with the speed that we have on this team, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out this year. Yeah. And like, I, I know last year, there were games where we kind of got burned because teams had figured out the three, three, five. It was a brand new defense. Most of our players weren't picked to play that defense because they were still here from the Patterson era. So it was a big transition. I think this year it's been well reported by a lot of people. I've seen Jeremy Clark say it the most that Gillespie has installed some things some switches so that if teams, if and when, frankly, teams figure it out, he can kind of change it up mid-game, bring some bring some other elements into that defense, which I look forward to seeing because if we can have, I think, even a top 40 defense with our offense, we're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, I uh, when I was at the Georgia game, there were a lot of people there calling, screaming, fire Gillespie. Of course, it's ridiculous to sit here and pretend that any defensive coordinator was going to handle that Georgia team. But one of the arguments that really got thrown back at them the whole time from the proponents of Gillespie was exactly what you just said, that most of the players weren't his guys and weren't ready for his system. So I'm looking forward to this year where it's a little more, we know the system coming for us. And I really like, I hadn't heard as much what you just said, but I really like the fact that we're going to have a little more of an option and an answer for when guys, other teams have that three, three, five figured out because there were a number of games where you could tell the other guys had it figured out. So it's, it's going to be good to have an answer to such a problem. Yeah. No, sorry. On the the offensive end, I, I will say, I don't necessarily expect the change in offensive coordinator to have that big of an impact. Um, in terms of our system. Yeah. I mean, previously you've seen Sonny Dykes take over that SMU team, and really it's his offense, and they, he just has someone filler to be an offensive coordinator and call the plays. But a lot of the plays on that sheet are Sonny's plays. Um, and so I, I think that it'll be interesting to see kind of how that dynamic plays out with Bryles 
Um, personally, I hope that Sonny still maintains a lot of control over the offense. I think it's worked well in the past, and I don't think Browse having all the control has worked well in the past, speaking from experience. But it, um, we'll, we'll see how just emotionally feel great to know that the offense never had anything to do with someone with the last name Riley or Bryles and all along they were figureheads for Sonny just emotionally I would love to see that happen yeah yeah I'm actually really looking forward to watching some Clemson games this year to like actually see if it was Sonny or if Riley knows what he's doing I mean granted he has all the talent in the world to work with at Clemson and he's set up for success there. I hope he does well. He got us to the championship. Whether he tapped out or not before the championship, you can go either way. But he got us there at least. So wish him all the best. But As a Florida State or a guy who went to Florida State for grad school, I really hope that Riley takes Clemson to second place in the ACC. I hope almost the best for him. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, as we're talking about other conferences, do we want to keep going on the additions for now, or are we ready to move into the uh, some realignment talk? Yeah, sure. We, we, yeah. We we had some some big changes this offseason. If, if either of you wants to start running with what's happened so far in this realignment. Barrett, you can take it, man. Yeah, so for all intents and purposes, the Pac-12 is done, so. Um, we've, we've got basically two major conferences now, or three, if you count the Big Ten as a major conference. Um, I would say we got the Big 12, which is now definitely not 12 teams. Um, you got the SEC, you got the Big Ten. And th- those are kind of the three key players now with the Pac-12 kind of being disbanded, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, I guess some money-grubbing kind of came back to bite them. But um yeah, a, a lot of new teams coming into the Big 12. Honestly, I think it's a lot of really good teams that could easily be sleepers to go win seven, eight games in the conference. I also have to say with the teams coming into the Big 12, not just the four that we just picked up, but the other round that we just grabbed from the Pac-12, regardless of how the conference actually is at football, which I do think it'll be in better hands than it was before, but regardless of that, I think we picked up really fun teams to play. Like, I think the Big 12 is going to be one of the most fun conferences to watch as a fan because of this. Colorado is a really cool environment. I love Utah because that brings back the old rivalry that was a such a fun Mountain West rivalry. Arizona and Arizona State are just exciting fan bases. I, I lived in Florida for most of my life, so UCF is... The bounce house is small, but it's exciting. Since he had their excitement recently, we'll we'll see if they keep doing it. Houston is bringing back an old uh, SWC team. And, oh gosh, who am I missing? What's the one team I missed? BYU. BYU. Oh, I'm so excited for BYU. BYU has the most gorgeous stadium in the country. Full stop. They don't drink, but neither do I. So that's not an issue for me. I'm so excited to go to a BYU game. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think the Big 12 is definitely going to be the most competitive conference. It was last year. It will continue to be. Um, you got, like, of course, the powerhouses in the other three major conferences, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, uh, USC for the Big 10. And then I guess you can have Penn State in every other year. And then Georgia, LSU, Bama, Auburn, kind of. Um, Auburn was. Yeah. Uh, You had as many SEC wins as Auburn did this last year, if you count Texas and Oklahoma as SEC teams. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about Tennessee for the SEC. We'll see if they can keep up. Um, I hope they don't. I'm sorry. If any Tennessee fan is listening, I'm sure I love some of you. The Tennessee fans that I put up with last season are the worst people I've ever dealt with. I hope Tennessee goes 0-12 this season. Well, they were good last year. They should I be good I wouldn't expect 0-12, but I hope 0-12. Yeah. But those, you got those four teams and then really <clears throat> both of those conferences and then really the conferences are kind of trash. Uh, and then, weeping in the background. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sorry. They're pretty good. No, I, I think I think the Hogs will be okay this year. I'm it'll be normal like six, seven, eight wins. Bowl game. That's what yeah. I guess even though bowls really don't matter much anymore because you have the playoffs. But <laughs> yeah, but I love I love bowls that don't matter. I think as long as there's a clear hierarchy of like what matters and what doesn't, we should have as many dumb bowls as possible. As long as it's clear they're a dumb bowl, because they're so freaking fun. Like, I love fun, dumb bowl games, as long as it's clear that other bowl games are more important. As long as it's clear that it's supporting capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get like, the Duke Mayo Bowl. That's fun to watch because you just want to see who's going to chug the most mayo. Yeah, like, exactly. Who doesn't like want Boise, that? The Boise Idaho Bowl, where they get French fries dumped on them if when they win. Like those, those I, are fun to watch. I've been watching TCU for my entire life, and without a doubt, the three best bowl games I've watched were the Fiesta Bowl, the Rose Bowl, and then the Cheez It Bowl. The Cheez-It Bowl was absolutely incredible, and it's devastating that that fell to its knees. The more ridiculous the bowl game, the better it is. Yeah, I think that's what those minor bowl games are going to end up needing to do in order to yes, survive. They're going to need a gimmick. Absolutely. Um, but regardless of playoff or not, it's great for the teams who make it to get those extra like two, three weeks of practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the next year, that thing that's crucial. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the playoff expanding to twelve teams next year, for sure. But I just I'm confident that the Big Twelve will be in there, just even though I think the conference is going to beat up on itself. Besides, like Iowa State, that poor team, <laughs> um, and West Virginia, I don't think will be great this year. I think they'll be okay. Same but here's from Matt Campbell. Yeah, <laughs> poor Matt Campbell should have left He's when he had the chance. He really should have. He should he should have left three years ago when he had the chance. Um, <laughs> but I I think I think the Big Twelve is going to be top to bottom. Any team can beat anybody. The well, at the end of the, if you listen to a lot of the big name sports reporters, they're never going to say this because they're busy sucking off the SEC. But if you listen to anyone who seriously watches the Big 12, and I mean like seriously watches it, all of them are saying the same thing you are. And it's because you're right. It's because the Big 12 top to bottom is going to be incredible in the next few years. Yeah. And, and it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be a freaking blast. Yeah. Um. And then I guess the last thing we really have to talk about with realignment is, although we we kind of skipped over the ACC, but I mean, besides Florida State and Clemson, they're kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and but, even then, Florida State and Clemson have been irrelevant for the past couple of. Um, years. excuse yeah. me, Florida State's <laughs> having a year this year. Here we go, baby. Oh. Anyway, you were saying, Jacob? Yeah, I I think. I think their inclusion of the grant of rights was a genius move. They copied the Big 12 in doing that, actually. And uh, it was a genius move by the smaller members who aren't as good because it's the only thing holding them together right now because Florida State can't figure out a way out of it. Yeah, um, Florida State's trying to get take Saudi money to leave, and it still can't. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I think what – it's hurting them though, because what Florida State and Clemson are in North Carolina are doing is they're the ones who voted to keep Stanford and Cal out. Yeah, that was wild. So they're doing what USC and UCLA did, and they're just they're trying to just shut down the conference so that they can leave, which is really sad because the ACC used to be a really fun conference to watch, and like it's the destruction of regionality. It, for money and it's just sad although i um, i will say as a shout out to my buddy speaking of for money a buddy of mine has an article about how greed did not kill the pac-12 and it wasn't just this thing for money it's entrepreneurial failure so if you look up greed didn't kill the pac-12 though bishop check that out i'm trying to write more on it that will uh if i successfully write more on it we'll get it on the podcast but we'll see yeah i guess that's that's a tough one because 
ESPN offered the Pac-12 the same deal they offered the Big 12, and the Pac-12 said, no, we want more money. Well, so, yeah, but the Pac-12 has blown it at every decision they could have made. Yeah. All right, but with that, I think the – Yeah, we haven't talked about SMU. That's what I was going to say. we got to talk about what happens with them in real life. And I think that uh, – I think Connor is the perfect person to take this. Uh, well – to take, are we talking about the realignment or are we talking about just the, 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 the realignment losing out on the iron skillet? So losing out on the iron skillet, I'm going to hit first just because that means the most to me. Which is it really <clears throat> losing out if we win it every year? Um, but well, see, that's my thing though. I, I get why we did it. It was, or why we ended it. It was a bad decision logistically to continue the iron skillet. We win every year. And the truth of the matter is we don't – like every every five or ten years, SMU sneaks one in, and we can only lose the battle for the Iron Skillet because if we win, we get nothing out of it. We're never going to be ranked because we beat SMU. They're a nobody team, and as a result, we're not going to be rewarded for beating them, and we are going to be punished for losing to them. If we replace them with a Power 5 team in our schedule, that'll be completely different. If we replace them with another group of five team, that other group of five team will always have to play at the will always have to play at the Carter. We could play different groups of five team group of five teams and actually vary that game. And it they'd be significantly less motivated to beat us than SMU would. So no matter who we play, it's better off for us logistically than SMU. All the same. I'm absolutely heartbroken by the decision. I love the battle for the Iron Skillet. I think we as TCU fans tend to pretend we don't care about SMU more than we really don't care about SMU. The week we play them, I really do hate them. I My family split between SMU and TCU, so growing up, the Iron Skillet was like the biggest game of the year for me. So I'm heartbroken seeing it go. But where I get hope, one of my favorite writers is G.K. Chesterton. And he wrote that if you see a fence in the woods, most reformers will say, tear it down. I don't know what it's you I don't know what it's good for. And Chesterton says, well, if you don't know what it's good for, then you definitely can't tear it down. Come back once you know its purpose, and then maybe I'll let you tear it down. Where I get hope is thinking of that. <clears throat> the the guys taking down the iron skillet are not unaware of the traditional importance of the iron skillet. They know what its purpose is, and they aren't just missing that. They're evaluating that and deciding that this is better anyway. Um, I honestly think it'll be back soon enough. I at least hope it will. It breaks my heart to see that tradition go completely out the window. I hope it really is just a pause for a few years and the fans bring it back, but we'll see how it goes. As for <coughs> as for uh, conference realignment, SMU is in a similar position to what TCU was in at the fall of the Southwest conference. Obviously SMU isn't coming from a significant conference. They're coming from the AAC, but with Sonny, they had a pretty legitimate squad. They were making bowl games somewhat routinely. They were beating us routinely and they didn't capitalize that on get into a real conference. A big part of that is guys like Texas who kept them out of the big 12 every time they tried to join I'm sure that's to blame on more than just Texas, but I'm going to blame it on just Texas, and I won't feel bad for that. Um, SMU's missed its chance time and time again to get in the Big 12. They finally were working on something to get into the Pac-12, and then the Pac-12 completely collapsed. They tried to put together their last-ditch effort to get into the ACC. They didn't get into the ACC. They'll blame Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina, but Teams like Stanford can blame Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina. I don't think SMU was ever getting in. But even if they were, they were, quite frankly, trying to join another sinking ship. SMU is really in a similar position where they're now going to end up in some nothing conference like we did when we were in the WAC. By the best of their luck, they'll end up in the AAC that picks up the rest of the Pac-12. But even that <clears throat> just won't be that worthwhile. And they, they really need to look to the Chris Del Conte, Gary Patterson blueprint and see what we did because what TCU did from the mid-90s to 2012-13, whenever we joined the Big 12, was a miracle that not enough schools recognize. And SMU needs to look into 
We need to become the best team in the AAC. Once we're the best team in the AAC, we need to get real attention with some random New Year's Six Bowl win. And by doing that, we need to jump ship as soon as we possibly can. And that'll probably take 10 years for that goal to accomplish. But it's basically their only way out at this point that I can see. Yeah, they definitely have the money to to make it happen. Um, I think they're definitely lauded or lauded as having one of the top NIL programs. Yeah. Well, and this coming year with the AAC sucking as much as it is, there's no reason they can't win the conference and get into some New Year's Six Bowl. I don't know that I'd bet on them winning said New Year's Six Bowl, but they can use how weak the AAC is right now to make a real splash and get attention at the last minute. Oh, absolutely. And it's not like they're going to have a bad team this year. I think they're going to be really, I think they'll be competitive with us for the most part. They got a couple of power five transfers, you know, obviously um, what's his name from our team? Uh, The wide receiver Uh, Hudson, Jordan Hudson. Oh yeah. Um, Transferred there. He's a former five star who was then like relegated eighth on our depth chart in the spring and didn't like that very much. And so he transferred and then Kamar Wheaton, I I believe he was at Alabama, um, good running back. And then one of our, uh, corners also transferred there. Um, but you know, they're, and they're, they're signing classes. Like their, their recruitment classes aren't bad either. And I don't, I don't believe Lashley is a bad, uh, coach. So on top of it, they, uh, even when they're not competitive, they're gonna they're gonna put up a, a fight against us just because it's a rivalry game and anything now in a rivalry game. You think back to uh uh Rager's freshman year, although I think they had uh what's his name, Cortland Sutton at the time. So they they weren't a bad team by any means, but we were number four in the country at one point that season. But Rager's freshman year, it took that special Rager Hail Mary catch in the end zone to take our first lead of the game going into halftime. I mean, SMU puts up a fight against us every year. If they snuck one over us, they could run the AAC, have a Power 5 win. They could have a real season ahead of them. The question really comes down to, have the, has, have the pieces already kind of settled where they will for this realignment here? How much opportunity do they really have to weasel into a real conference at this point? Yeah, and they also play Oklahoma this year, too. Do they really? Okay, well, and you know what? After last season, if Oklahoma is not better than they were last season, they could easily sneak one over Oklahoma. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, Barrett says they have zero. Yes. <laughs> Barrett says what? Barrett, Barrett just held up a zero. Yeah, I don't think they have a shot at getting into one of the major conferences at this well, point. That's the problem is they could go undefeated. The, the pieces are already settled. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. dice have rolled at this point. <laughs> and the other they problem is... They need to do is, what TCU and Utah did. They need to run the show for the next 10 years, and when there's an when there's a window, they need to be on top during the window. Well, I think even if they are on top, um, I think the next <clears throat> 10 years, 15 years, has already been decided by the, the major broadcasting companies. Like, they've just decided that it's going to be the SEC and the Big Ten. Um, why? I don't know, because the Big Ten's kind of trash outside of three teams, four teams, and so is the SEC on a regular basis. Even including those three or four teams, TCU is the Big Ten champion. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, um, and that's why actually I kind of like what the Big 12 has done with their additions, bringing in Houston and the Arizona schools, um, you really, they kind of were like, well, yeah, we're going to get some good football schools. And they brought in Cincinnati, Utah, um, Houston. I think, I think they will be good eventually. Um, not this year. Uh, but then they brought in the basketball powerhouses and they oh, said, yeah. you can't be one of those conferences or that, that ESPN chooses for the college football playoffs every year and that who they want to be in it because of the fan bases, then we're just going to run basketball. And I think that's 
going to be really fun to watch. Well, then, having having covered what we need to about realignment, uh, it is time for my favorite part of the podcast as our resident bookie, where I am going to discuss my bets for the week. But before I get into my bets for the week, I've picked out some week zero games that I'm going to ask you two for your predictions on. Now, as we get more into the season, I'm going to be more selective in the games we pick. However, because it's week zero and there are very few games, I have all of them and we're going to do a lightning round. I'm not going to ask for your explanations. You're going to pick every game. Barrett, who's winning Navy or Notre Dame? Uh, I'm going to go Notre Dame on this one, but in tight game. Jacob. Yeah, I'll go with Notre Dame. Okay. All right. We've got a blue blood matchup, if there ever were one. UTEP versus Jacksonville State. UTEP. Yeah. UTEP. All right. UMass versus New Mexico State. Oh, gosh. UMass is so bad. New Mexico State all the way. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to ride with uh, former... TCU. Yes, that's the right answer, Jacob. Thank you. We might go state in a landslide. <clears throat> All right. Ohio, the Ohio University versus San Diego State. Oh, gosh. This is a tough one. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Ohio on this one. I, I think San Diego State has a better team, but I think Ohio pulls it out. Yeah, Ohio is one of those teams that just kind of is good every year for their conference with no explanation why. So I think it's got to be coaching. I don't know much about them. I just see they win a lot. Um, but I'll go with San Diego State just because. Thank you. You guys needed to disagree on something eventually. Hawaii, Vanderbilt. Both these teams suck, but I'm, I'm going to go for Hawaii in support of our Maui brothers. I'm going to choose Vandy, even though they don't have a stadium. all right san jose state usc san jose state but mostly because my sister went to usc so i always pick against them okay (laughs) i'm gonna take usc i'll take the easy (laughs) win (laughs) hey sibling rivalry is real all right fiu law tech law tech yeah, lot tech. All right. Now, that was the first round of our picks here. Each of those, I've developed a point system to evaluate how your picks were done. Each of those were worth one point. I have three highlight games that are going to be three points, and then one matchup of the week that'll be five points. Okay. Our three-point games, we have got North Alabama versus Mercer. <laughs> um. If it were South Alabama, I'd pick them, but I'm going to go with Mercer on this one. Well, you know, North Alabama has that quarterback um, who's just an absolute <laughs> game changer. So he's, he's like the quarterback from Alabama, but North. <laughs> exactly. So how can I how can I bet against Northern Alabama? I'll, t- I'll, I'll Great take White North. I'll, I'll take. <laughs> Whatever their mascot is, um, I'm going to take them, and right. we're running with it. We got another one. This is where – I don't know if they've announced it yet. I'm I'm expecting college game day here. We've got Fordham versus Albany. Oh, gosh. Two heavy hitters here. Uh, let's go with Fordham. Fordham? Jacob? I feel like they're closer than Albany to the south, so they're probably That's better an interesting at point. I was going to choose – I'm going with Fordham too. All right, and last but not least of the three-point round – we have SC State versus Jackson State. Oh, SC State all the way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they lost prime time. You can't expect them to win without it. Yeah, and, and half their team left with them. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. And then lastly, our biggest matchup of the week. This will be worth five points. So you'll note that this one pick one, two, three, is worth almost all of the first round picks combined. <laughs> We have Florida Memorial versus LaGrange. Ooh. Tough one. I'm, I'm going to go with LaGrange on this one. ZZ Top's going to pull it out, the, the 80-year-old rock stars. Yeah, you know, LaGrange, they're a perennial powerhouse in their conference. 
Um, but Florida Memorial, they they have a couple of young players on their team who I just think are going to really steal the show. So this is a tough one, but I think I think I'm going to give the uh, I'm going to give the the pick to Florida Memorial, just because. Well- I'm born and raised in Florida. I've been like a tertiary fan of Florida Memorial my entire life. I think it's the obvious choice. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be. I think they could push. They could push for a conference championship this year. Uh, honestly, it's possibly a natty. Could be. All right. With that being said, my uh, my big bets where I actually put my own money down and not did not just ramble about Florida Memorial. My my locks for the week. I've got Jacksonville State covering against UTEP. So I disagree with you guys on that. I also have Jacksonville State winning outright against UTEP because they're picked to win by one. I have them covering that and then winning outright because there's no scenario they cover and don't win outright. Double down. Um, I, uh, like I've said a couple times, I went to grad school at Florida State and I'm haunted by the memory of uh, Jacksonville State beating us while I was a Florida State student. So I, I've got faith in Jacksonville State. And then I have Navy covering against Notre Dame. Um, I agree with uh, Barrett on that. I do think Notre Dame will win, but I think it'll be tighter than people want it to be. And Notre Dame is picked to win by 20 and a half points. I think Navy can comfortably cover that. And then I've got three season-long bets that I'll announce right here so that the podcast viewers can hold me to it. We've got Texas under 9.5 wins on the season. I think the fact that that's even available as a bet is an opportunity to print money. It is a one and a half to one payout to take the under. And I think there's no scenario that Texas doesn't take at least three losses. I think TCU, Oklahoma, K-State, Alabama could all pretty comfortably take Texas along with a bunch of other random losses they could take. Nine and a half seems like a gimme. I, uh, I'm a big believer in the golden rule of sports betting that you never bet on your own team. And I'm avoiding that. So I'm not betting on TCU, but I'm breaking the rule a little by betting on my secondary team of Florida State. I have them over 10 wins. I plan on losing money, but I'm supporting my boys. And lastly, I've got Michigan over 10 and a half wins. That's, that's risky, but I believe in it. The Big Ten, like you said, is really not that good outside of a couple teams. Michigan could lose to Ohio State and still take that pretty comfortably. So those are my bets for this week and then my long ones for the season. Uh, boys, do you have any other news you want to end it on? Do you guys have anything else you want to cover before we wrap it up here? Roll Toad. Roll Toad. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a absolutely fantastic episode. I look forward to doing this every every week of the season. We're going to see a fantastic season. We're going to see some fantastic takes here on the three wise men. These have been your three favorite geniuses giving the best non-genius takes we can on TCU and other news. Thank you very much. And we are out. Go Frogs.